Hey there, welcome back to the Will and Rob show. Uh, It's wonderful to be with you all, every single one of you. Uh, My name is Will Stockdale, Ministry Associate with Ministry to State, uh, Ministry of the PCA here in Washington, D.C. Here as as always, as uh, uh, with my very good friend, colleague, coworker, Robert Hassler. Uh, Robert is a ministry associate and communications director with Ministry of State. Uh, and speaking of that, been working on some comm stuff for GA already. Already, are we thinking about General Assembly? It's way out in front of. I, we're way out in front of that, sure. But you know, it just shows that how how excited we get about this part of being Presbyterian. Playing a little Presbyterian inside baseball here. Uh, anyone else who's going to General Assembly may have already found this out, but uh, there are no hotel rooms. Uh, left in the in Birmingham right now uh, for General Assembly. Uh, it's like this running joke now that people are like having to book hotels like super far away, and I just panic because I realize I don't have my hotel room yet. So we've got to figure out what we're going to do, or else we might be uh, we might be finding a park bench somewhere in Birmingham for General Assembly. Wait, you mean in the city of Birmingham? Like I think within walking distance of the convention center, which of course, you know, in, in play in cities, there's like a ton of hotel rooms. We were in St. Louis last year and we found a hotel that was like catty corner, but there were still like three others around us. Um, I, at least from what I understand, like almost every hotel room in near the convention center in Birmingham is basically gone already for general assembly. Um, I don't know if that means there's no hotels in Birmingham. I don't know what that means. Or if there's, if we're just gonna have an unprecedented number of people, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Well, that's good to know. Thanks, Robert. I wish I could say, yeah, I totally already got in my hotel. But now that you say that, I don't have a hotel either. I didn't know <laughs> six months out and ahead of time. I think we should, what we should do is we should Airbnb in place. Mystery State should Airbnb in place, like a little bit farther out of, out of town. Yeah. Um, have like a little Ministry of State house party. Would that, be, would that be kosher for General Assembly? I don't know. Yes, it would be. It would be <laughs> muy kosher. Muy, muy kosher. <laughs> No, it's good. Okay, well, we'll start planning our house party while uh, you know Chuck and Doug are out, and uh, it's just the kids at the house. So, <laughs> uh, that'll be fun. That's cool. Um, well, uh, last week, you know, we talked about this big news of the commanders. That's uh, in spite of our commentary and criticism, the, the state, well, the city state of DC, uh, the football team has has decided to keep the name. We thought that maybe it would have reached Dan, and he would have made a change. Fools! But they didn't listen to us. Can you believe that? Yeah, they still go with the commander. So whatever. The point is, we tried our best. So we'll move on to another, uh, another arena. Uh, but this we can week, now live our entire lives saying we told you so. That's good. That's good. I feel like that's a good, healthy place for the heart. <laughs> you know, I uh, I like to just leave a little bit of bitterness in there. Just always letting a little bit of bitterness grow, um, so that I have something to work on. You know, yeah. But a little bitterness never hurt anybody. Uh, obviously, being facetious, but. One of the things um, that uh, I, I've been thinking about, one of the things that uh, is important to us at Ministry to State uh, is the topic of prayer. And so today, as Robert and I are here recording, we wanted to talk a little bit about prayer and politics. Um, uh, our, our founder, Chuck Garriott, uh, for multiple administrations, has published a book um, uh, called basically prayers for Obama, prayers for Trump, um, and has 
He yeah. also has a prayers for President Xi of China. Yes. Well. Yes. And uh, so that, that's something that's near and dear to the to us. And I think to um, to the heart of uh, the DNA of this ministry is praying for our elected officials or um, in the United States. And uh, that's something that's important. Uh, that's something that matters for uh, for us as Christians um, to pray for our leaders uh for a couple of reasons, I think about Chad Van Dixhorn's comments when he came on a couple of weeks ago about our attitude towards elected officials. But uh, that's something we think important, something we want to talk about is why should we pray for our elected officials? How should we pray for our elected officials? And I'll say this one more thing before we go any further. Uh, my heart was pricked because at um, community group for my church last week, we were sitting and it was a week of prayer for our church and praying for uh, our church, our city. Um, and uh, the, our nation and the world. And um, there were all these prayer requests that came up, like, let's pray for this and this and this. And at that point, when brought up the topics that we were about to pray for, I thought to myself, man, I really wish we could talk about these things. I, I really wish that our group could sit around and talk and debate and just get, get into considerations of why this stuff is important and, and bounce ideas off each other. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit pricked my heart and was like, you know, well, you, you have plenty of time to talk about this, but you need to start by praying about this. And if I really think that this is such an important issue, which is, it's not just fun to talk about these issues, but they're important and it's not bad to talk about them. It's good to talk about them. But um, if I really believe they're that important, my, my first thing should be is to pray and to pray for them and about them, to bring them before the King. Uh, I think that does a lot to reflect our, uh, it reminds our heart of how things actually are. Um, and prepares our heart and our mouth to speak about things when we have first brought them to the Lord, instead of thinking that just, you know, conversations is the way forward. So that, that was part of the genesis of this is just being convicted, remembering that before talking or, or getting worked up or thinking about something, I should, I should really begin by praying about it for however long and then go forward. But um, Robert, you and I have talked about this a little bit offline. Uh, and I just wanted to, as you think about the importance of praying for elected officials, I was just curious, what, what are your thoughts right now? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, my mind immediately turns to first Timothy two. And I think most people are familiar with that passage. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for Kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our savior. Um, so why do we pray for elected officials? I mean, the easy answer is because God tells us to, um, uh, but God tells us to, because it's good and pleasing to him. Uh, and we know that, uh, the good of his, his people is what pleases God. So we must know that we, we, we can then conclude that praying for our political leaders, our Kings, our rulers, our emperors, our presidents, um, is good for us. Um, and, uh, I think that, that really becomes the question, how is it good for us? Um, I think a couple things, uh, uh, I can't remember which early church father it was who said it, but basically, um, it, it's very hard to hate someone when you're praying for them. Um, and, uh, obviously we're commanded to love all people, including our enemies, uh, even our political enemies. Uh, and so, uh, but we cannot hate them. That's, that's what we are called to as Christians. And so uh, one way to help us not hate one another uh, is, God, is God commands us to pray for one another. And I think that that's a really important 
aspect. Um, hate breaks uh, social bonds, which is really bad for politics. Uh, love uh, builds social bonds, which is good for politics. Um, and so uh, even to have a healthy political atmosphere, uh, it has to be charged with, a, with, a, uh, um, with prayer uh, and with love for one another, even amidst, you know, terrible disagreements about, you know, what are the right ways forward, uh, either through policies or elect or who we elect. Yeah, it's definitely true that um, prayer by acknowledging God going to him does work on our heart. I mean, that's something that I remember being taught as a kid by my mom is if you're upset with someone, pray for them for among other reasons, it's hard to be angry uh, consistently or spiteful towards someone when praying for them. And so I, I definitely think that's true for politics as well. Uh, I think also when we pray according to scripture and we realize the truths of scripture um, that when, when we pray for people, for one, we recognize that, Hey, at, at one point, all of us were in Adam. And so there's a covenantal, at least history there for us in the past of we were once dead in sin and we've been brought alive in Adam and alive in Christ. And instead of feeling self-righteous or overly confident or like braggadocious about that, we're instead to have compassion on maybe those that we disagree with and, and aren't Christians as we pray for them. And remember that common thing that we shared at one point um, Two, if they are in Christ, then they're our brothers and sisters and we need to especially be gracious to them and how we pray for them. Um, we also acknowledge, I think that at least tacitly it's that um, we are acknowledging our finitude in prayer as well, which changes us when we're, honest about it, we are recognizing that there are, there are things that only God can do. Uh, and there are things that are in his power and there. And for all things, we rely on him uh, for them to take place and transpire. We rely on God to be at work, to transform, to change. And so we go to him in prayer and that acknowledges an, uh, a reliance. And I think in addition to that reliance, it makes us humble as well. So prayer has this work on us um, internally. Uh, and then obviously, I mean, we can get to this, but the fact that prayer works objectively as well, we, we can think about and ask questions a little beyond what we want to talk about today, but how does sovereignty work with prayer and have those things. But the, the, the image that we get in scripture, the truth that we get in scripture is that prayer does bring about results when it is according to the will of God. Um, and that when it is according to what he has revealed in his will. And so prayer does matter uh, and it does have an effect. And, and as that saying goes, we don't pray because we believe in prayer. We pray because we believe in an all powerful God. Mm. And that is, that's the basis for our prayers. Yeah. It, you bring up an interesting point, which is the, it's at least been my experience that, uh, the sphere of politics really brings out that seemingly seeming contradiction, or we might say a paradox of humans of human will and God's sovereignty. The, the, the sphere of politics really brings that out um, because on the one hand, God is sovereign. He raises up rulers and he, he um, uh, takes down rulers and still politics is, is the sphere by which uh, man comes together uh, in order to, you know, uh, enact certain policies and, and to uh, um, 
promote the common good and, and human flourishing. And so there is this uh, there's the sense that you know the, the political, especially in an American context, uh, we feel so empowered uh, in politics to do all these different things, and yet that comes up against to against God's sovereignty. Um, but I think the Bible sort of leans into that that paradox in the in the political, especially in this passage in, in First Timothy, because the reason why we pray for rulers is that we can live quiet and peaceful lives. The implication is that the rulers, the kings, have a certain amount of discretion over what that peaceful and quiet life looks like. Uh, that their decisions will affect that in a way that um, the average sort of citizen uh, doesn't. Um, and so I think that that's a really important sort of thing to draw out. Um, it, it's sort of like, you know, we pray for our kings and rulers uh, like we pray for our pastors, like they have a great responsibility on them. Um, I know when I preach, uh, that's the that's the most sort of uh, out, uh, uh, outgoing I am about asking for prayers because I feel the sense of responsibility of, of bringing God's word to his people. Um, and I feel completely inadequate to that task. Um, I imagine I've never been president, but I imagine that's what the, being president feels like a lot, um, especially if you're a humble man. Um, and so uh, I think we pray for our political leaders because their decisions and this and policies have a greater effect on our lives um, and have been given to them by God. Uh, and so that's why we pray for them, because of the responsibility that they bear that's different in some ways heavier than other people deal with. Yeah. Uh, with that, the importance of us praying for our elected officials, of course, that's something that we need to do and need to do regularly for one, like you said, with the second Timothy passage of for quiet and peaceful lives, um, for wisdom and justice, um, for goodness, for laws that promote a flourishing society, all those things. But I also am suspicious and think that we probably really concentrate our prayers to a certain time rather than like a consistent prayer. Uh, I, I was talking to someone um, who works at an uh, organization up here and um, basically they were acknowledging that churches get really interested in talking about politics um, and social issues about once every four years, interestingly enough. Oh, what a coincidence. <laughs> and there's, there's, a, there's a real push for this once every four years. And it got me thinking, um, boy, it would be nice if we, we, if we knew that there was something coming up once every four years and maybe we're a little preemptive uh, instead of just rushing onward. So obviously referring to elections here, but I wanted to run that by you and, it, and if ask if you thought that was maybe something consistent with your findings. Oh, no, I think that's totally right. I mean, during the elections, it's the flurry of devotionals and articles about faith and politics come out. And that's, you know, that's not surprising. That's that's contextualization. That's making the gospel relevant. I understand all that. Um, but I do think that it is often coupled with a noticeable absence of that discussion uh, in between elections. Um, and which, you know, to me sort of signifies a, um, uh, a tacit understanding that uh, uh, Things that are happening within the three years of government don't really affect our lives in a way um, that a lot of the other things that we care about do, like marriages and families, uh, education, uh, uh, things like this, uh, disputes with neighbors. Uh, but then every four years, an election is treated as sort of an existential event, which 
think there's some contradiction there that we that we need to recognize. Um, what's probably more prudent is a is a more measured uh, response. I know uh, in the PCA this is pretty common uh, during the pastoral prayer. Uh, there is a weekly prayer for uh, the president and elected officials. And it's usually something that's pretty, not for you. Has that not been your No, I was going to say it's clearly a Christian nationalist church though. Oh yeah, I know. Very dangerous. Um, But, you know, this is a pretty standard thing that I found in PCA circles. And I think that the, uh, it reflects a couple of things. There's the element that, you know, Every single day, our decisions are making very our, our leaders are making very important decisions, uh, and so they need constant prayer. Um, and then there's this there's an I think the other uh, uh, implication, which I think is good, which is that you know, living underneath a government, living underneath a state, is just part of life um, as a human. Uh, it's it's the way that God has naturally ordered um, uh, human life, and so uh, we can't escape it. It's, it, it's just a part, it's just a fact of life. And so we deal with it. Like we deal with other things. Why we, the same way, why we pray for, um, uh, uh, families and marriages in our congregations, because that's, that's what human life is like. And so we pray for it and it's a, it's a reflection. It's an acknowledgement, um, that, uh, uh you can't escape politics. You can't escape the state. It, it, it is part of, of, of human experience. And so, like everything else, it's under the divine and sovereign care of the Lord. And so we bring it to him just like we do everything else. Yeah. You know, I, I think I might have a little bit of a different take on what you said earlier, not the end. I, I love that um, about why we don't pray regularly for elected officials. Mm-hmm. And um, I think part of it is we pray for elections coming up because we recognize that a whole bunch of people are about to be doing something. And so I wonder, and I'm sure I've been guilty of this too, that in my prayer is not just for God to act um, and for goodness to take place, but for somehow people's minds to change and everybody to think just like me and vote in election the way that I would have them vote. Um, And I think also with that is this possibility that when we do focus our prayers regarding politics around election time. I, I wonder if it betrays this fact that we're not sure if God is really able to act on his own, mm. but that he acts when we do stuff. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think back to examples in um, scripture. So Daniel nine talks about Daniel praying. And the reason he prays is because he sees that God's about to act. Um, the time of exile, 70 years is nearly up. And so what does he do? He prays. Why? Because God is about to fulfill his promise, um, which is which is God's initiation and action. Uh, I think about us praying at the end of Revelation, come Lord Jesus. Why do we pray for that? Because we know that God is going to act. And I guess even saying that now, I think like the reason we pray for these things is because we are sure that God is going to act. Right. Um, that he is at work, that he is on the move. And um, we pray for certain things and then that refines our hearts. And we pray that we get in tune with what he is doing and where he is acting. Um, and then we go out and go forth. But our our prayers, I think, need to be in response and in, and being remembering that God is always in, acting and at work. 
in the world. That's such a good word. I've never, I've never thought about it that way in terms of, you know, praying during a particular election season as sort of a, a prayer of preparation, Lord, who are you anointing? Um, Cause sh- surely that person is going to win this election. I don't know. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know why it's going to be, but I know that that's your will. Um, and so coming a- into a, a state of prayer of preparation that we would prepare our hearts for the, what, who the Lord has decided to, to raise up. Um, and that, that I think is a really important part because like we've been saying, and sort of what you, what you said is sort of a temptation that I definitely sense as well, which is that we turn our, we turn our prayers for elected leaders as sort of like um, uh, a pep rally or a sort of let's focus on, you know, all the things that this person needs prayer for, because either they're, you know, they are wholly righteous or they're wholly evil. And so they need all of our prayer. Whereas praying for our elected officials can actually be, uh, in turn, uh, formative and shaping on our own hearts and souls as, as preparing ourselves um, to be humble and good citizens of this political leader to submit to them, like we are we're called to in Romans thirteen, um, for discernment about, you know, uh, obviously the the authority that civil uh, leaders exercise over us is not totalitarian. So if if a if a president or a, a senator or a governor or your local school board told you you can no longer worship Christ. Obviously, we would rebel against that and say, "No, that's that's not your authority." Um, so we have to have be, we have to be discerning to know like when that stuff is happening um, and how to respond in certain ways. Um, and I think that's that's part of that praying for leaders is also praying praying for us because we need it. It's it's an act of humility knowing that um, we are you know, as, as lowly a sinner as, as this elected official that we, that we raise up, um, and, uh, in, as much in need of prayer as they are. I think that's a really interesting dynamic I've never thought about in, in terms of praying for elected officials, because I'm so tempted to go into those prayers, particularly if it's not the, the person that I voted for, or the person I would prefer in power as a sort of, um, <laughs> almost like one of those, uh, prayers and Psalms where you're basically praying for the destruction of your enemies. Um, it's just really tempting to do stuff like that. Uh, whereas that's, that's not really the, that's, that there's an, obviously we don't want to dis- discard the fact that we are actually praying for somebody and we are actually, actually praying that the God, that God intervenes in that person's life in a certain way, but we also are praying in a way to shape and form our own hearts. Um, and I think that that's definitely part of the, of the calculus there. That's a really interesting observation. I've never really thought about it that way. Well, if, if you were to suggest before we wrap up, our last thing is what should Christians pray for in terms of praying for politics and praying for elected officials? Well, one thing that we have to pray for, um, is, and it's an acknowledgement that, that both civil and church spheres, both leaders of those spheres are ultimately responsible to God. God, God reigns over both of those spheres. Um, and so our civil magistrates are responsible for their actions before God. And so we pray for them that their actions would be good and pleasing to God because we, you know, 
because they will see judgment one day for those decisions. Um, uh, and so we pray for that. And I think we have to, we have to acknowledge that um, in our prayers. Uh, I, you know, our boss, Chuck Garriott has been really um, big on this in his prayer books for different leaders is praying for not just the public life of these officials, but the private life of these officials, their marriages, their families, because um, as any good student of history will know, right? A lot of those things seep into one another. I mean, public, uh, public leaders make public decisions often based on personal private experiences. We often don't know what those things are in real time, but they do influence things. Um, and so we pray for their marriages. We pray for their families. We pray for their health, um, uh, things like that. Um, and then I think we do pray for wisdom um, and sound judgment and, and the decisions that they make. Um, we obviously don't pray for them in sort of a, um, uh, uh, or I should say, we don't, we don't pray that, you know, uh, that they'll do this thing so that we can win this political victory or we will, you know, we'll be able to uh, own the libs or own the conservatives, if you will. Um, it, it, it's a prayer for peace. And so even if you're not necessarily supportive of the policy that's made, we do pray for that decision that it would lead to peace um, because uh, as Bible-believing Christians, we believe that peace is better than anarchy. Peace is better than, than uh, disruption and disorder. Um, I know that, that that whole idea, I think, has has kind of dangerously been challenged in a sort of way where it's sort of argued that, well, Christians should actually be praying for persecution and, and, and all these things, or we should be, we should be, uh, we should be more welcoming to that kind of stuff because all this good stuff happens when the church is persecuted. And the response to that is like, it's very, very good. And it's merciful that the Lord does still use chaos and disorder and persecution to build up his church. That's a really good thing. And we're, we're happy for it, but God is a God of peace. Um, and it's peace is good. And, and we should pray for it and we should welcome it when it happens. And so, and we should be very, very careful about disturbing and disrupting peace. Um, and so I think we do pray for the decisions that are made that they will lead to peace um, uh, because uh, in, it's in peace that humans flourish. That's what we were made for. We were made for a garden for tranquility. And so we want those things. So I think those are some of the things that we pray for. Right, does anything come to your mind? No, I mean, I like what you said. I think those are good. I, I would say we, we also pray for um, just ruling as mm -hmm. well, for there to be a concern for true justice. Why? Because God is righteous. He is just. He is over us. And we will be judged by the, the righteous ruler based on how we uh, and our leaders have chosen to live. Um, and so I pray that, you know, we pray for for good laws to be passed. However, that is that uh, laws that do promote the flourishing, like you're saying. Um, yeah. The persecution one is, um, you know, I think for my own heart, I'm like, sure. I could pray for persecution. Um, but where am I missing the opportunity to die to myself right now? In mm. this? Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of areas in my heart that I don't want to die to a lot of things out there. And, uh, um, there's plenty in a, in, a, in a context where we're not being persecuted, where we still need to die to ourselves. Uh, and we can focus on that. Uh, and I think that would, that's, that's what persecution, I guess, brings us to, mm. um, but we can still do that in the here and now. Um, 
So those are a couple areas that I think I like what you said about praying for the private lives of elected officials. Um, I think that's good for our imaginations too, to remember that the president sits down. I mean, that's one of the things that we know about president Obama and his family is that he would sit down to dinner with his wife and kids. Uh, so that like it humanizes it. It reminds us that this is the image of God as well. Um, or that we need to be praying for them. So on a, on a lighter note, that's always like my favorite part of like political crime dramas is that there's always inevitably a scene where they like go to like the bad guy's house. And he's always like in a really nice, like, like sort of like colonial style home in Alexandria. And his like kids are running around and he's got like the classic sort of like waspy sweater on and the, the Washington football teams on in the background. And it's just kind of, the, there's always these funny moments where you're like, Oh yeah. Like there's this like suburban life that most political leaders, especially in America uh, uh, live in. Um, and it kind of does sort of bring people down <laughs> to a more humanized level. Yeah. So I, that would be it for me. Uh, I mean, I, I can think of more um, pray for things that you think are wrong, that you want to change uh, that you hope the father goes about changing um, and pray for their staff as well. These people are under a lot of pressure and they, this, this country is run by 25 year olds. So <laughs> for good or for ill. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of comp anyways. So that those are, those are the things I would say. Um for us any any uh any final thoughts though mr hassler no i i like what you said about uh praying for the staffs and you know that's that's why we as ministry exist is to to in many ways um minister to uh that demographic and that group of people and so um uh yeah it, it, praying for the the interns in a in a congressional office may actually uh, uh be one of the more significant and political acts you can take uh in uh america in 2022 so yeah mm-hmm. don't don't overlook them that is countercultural for sure that is countercultural for sure <laughs> let me yeah they get a lot of mean things said to them let me tell you um hey but you know what we didn't talk about at all we didn't even get to what is uh the colbert video that came out oh um, yeah we should probably talk about that uh that well, did make a lot of waves on uh, on the interwebs I mean, I saw it all over my social media and I saw both very negative reactions and I saw, I will classify as overly positive interactions, almost triumphalist uh, in a certain way, because I think it reinforced a certain um, uh, evangelistic paradigm for a lack of a better term. But anyway, that that's kind of my 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 knee jerk hot take reaction. What was sort of the way that you saw it? Because you were actually the first one that sent it to me, I believe. No way, was I really? Yeah. I think you sent it in our te- in our group text, and that was the first time I saw it. I watched it, and then I went on Twitter because I was like, "Huh, I bet people are having measured responses to this," and I was totally wrong. <laughs> wow, wow, I'm so uh, so. I didn't know about the Twitter. So when I first watched the video, I thought two things: one, Colbert is a trained professional that guy is incredibly eloquent very very smart i thought what he said was beautiful i thought it was really really good uh um and it was it was very gracious very measured very thoughtful clearly in his response so i in talking about uh faith and comedy and love and suffering i thought that he did a wonderful job of tying those things together into one bow um but what i thought was interesting that i didn't see as many people talk about um was that dua lipa 
the the musician uh had asked him or had said uh you know one of the things me and my friends really enjoy about you is the way that you bring your faith into your comedy and i was like well that's really curious because i don't associate her at all with like a faith movement person i mean that's not really her vibe but the fact is that even though she has doesn't seem to have any like public interest or hasn't professed public interest in that that's still something she and her friends notice like oh what's going on there what is that is that part of this same like spiritualist movement that 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 she sees or what but i would i didn't see many people comment on that but i thought that was really interesting i was just curious as to why um she would be interested and her friends would be interested in colbert's roman catholic faith um but you you saw two different reactions yeah i did and so just to quickly respond to what you just said i think it was a couple years ago, maybe three years ago, a video went viral where uh, Colbert did an interview with um, Anderson Cooper from CNN. Uh, and I didn't know this about Colbert's uh, life. I, I guess he lost his father and a couple of his siblings, I think in a plane crash or some kind of horrible accident like that. Wow. Um, and uh, so, so, the point being the man knows suffering. The man knows what it, it means to suffer um, and to, and to suffer uh, uh, in a way that most people will never really understand. Um, and in that interview, he talked about his Roman Catholic faith and um, the, the notion, the sort of the Catholic idea of uh, the way that God blesses suffering is that it's a way to empathize with others who suffer. And so you're actually able to serve others in your suffering because you know, what it feels like. You don't offer empty platitudes because you actually know what it feels like to grieve a loved one uh, who was taken too early. And so things like that. So um, there's nothing really new, or I guess just say um, that's kind of the way that I uh, read these or heard these latest comments was in the context of knowing this about his, his background. So if Colbert's talking about suffering, there's a certain level of, I think, authority or credibility that he, that he brings because of his, his experience. Um, I'll say that when it comes to the two responses, you know, on the one hand, there was a uh, sort of poo-pooing of the comments um, uh, for a couple different reasons. One, uh, because of, you know, Colbert's trajectory of comedy, as if you examine anybody's sort of public work, um, is not pristine. I mean, there there are things that most uh, evangelical Christians would deem as, as pretty... Um, beyond the pale, uh, even blasphemous. I know one, he had a, a WWE bit where Jesus came out uh, sort of talking like uh, one, uh, like a professional wrestler carrying the belt. And, you know, that was, you know, beyond the pale and, and some other things as well. And so, you know, Colbert's track record is not one of sort of day in and day out uh, 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 great public uh, theology happening. <laughs> um, I'll say that. Uh, that, that's a whole other discussion. Uh, but the other uh, response I thought was more interesting was that there was a sort of uh, uh, discount, uh, discounting of his comments because they weren't quote unquote gospel. Uh, he didn't present the gospel uh, in his comments. And I think that that's a really interesting observation because correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think the question was, Hey, what's the gospel? Hey, what do you, what do you believe is the gospel? Um, the question was, how do you inter- how do you engage comedy as a Christian? How do you in- how do you intersect your faith in your comedy? Which is a question of applied Christian ethics, 
uh, and a question of vocation and a question of, uh, of the way faith comes to bear on all parts of life, which is a different question than what is the gospel. Um, and I think it does reveal a certain um, uh, error uh, uh, on, on our end, which is that um, we don't really have categories for discussing you know, Christian ethics in a way that's different than sort of just pure, straight evangel- evangel- uh, evangelism 101. Um, and I think that's important. And on the other end, you had comments that were really, you know, praising the, the comments of Stephen Colbert, but they were praising them specifically as this is how you contextualize the gospel. Well, the, again, the problem is that that wasn't the gospel. That was the gospel was not preached in a way that we would that we would really call evangelism. What was answered was how do I apply Christian ethics in this aspect of my life? Um, uh, and so I think both sides sort of missed what was happening, and it sort of reveals that you know at least in 2022, we're just not really uh, adept at, at navigating these different questions. And so I think what's, what I fear might be happening is you have, you have individuals that are approaching Christians with these questions. And it's sort of like, you know, they're preven- the, presenting these problems. You know, one requires a screwdriver, one requires a tape measure, one requires a level. But, the, but a lot of Christians are sort of just responding with like, okay, I've got this hammer. Now, like, Okay, give me your problem. All right, let me whack at it. Um, and uh, I just think that that that's sort of the concern that I saw when I read all the comments. Um, I thought, uh, you know, uh, it shouldn't be surprised because it is Twitter. Um, but I, I don't. I was just like, why can't we just be grateful for something good and beautiful that was said? Like, why can't it just be something good and true and beautiful was said? thank God, I hope this ministers to people instead of this is the best explanation of the gospel I've ever heard. Uh, right. This is America's greatest evangelist. Uh, wow. Roman Catholics really beat Protestants and Protestants could never do this. And it's yeah. like, why? <laughs> I saw that one too. Maybe it was disappointing because it was, it wasn't used as like grateful to see this thing as what it was. And instead it was used to like further people's own projects in certain ways, or again, use it like that. It was, what a great evangelist. And it's like, I, honestly, like, yeah, I, I just, I just don't think that's what that was. Again, it was good. It was true. It was beautiful. We can praise it and think it was good, but uh, I wish there was just more measured response. And I think your comment about seeing everything as a nail can be really troubling. Cause I think as Christians, we can get so, um, you know, when I, when I talk to non-believers, I have to, I have to be careful. I need other people to like, help me make sure that I'm answering the right question. Cause I can end up hearing something that isn't what's actually being asked right. because of, I get in so deep into like how we think, and that happens everywhere. That's just part of life. We do that in every part of life, but we need to be able to slow down and make sure we're actually hearing what people are asking. Yeah. Um, and don't be afraid to ask questions and to, to make sure that we're um, knowing our faith enough to be able to give detailed answers for different questions being asked. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I, I think what you said about sort of, you know, uh, people calling him like, you know, the great, uh, the America's foremost evangelist, essentially. Um, you know, there's a certain concern where it's like, okay, what he said was, was uh, I agree with you, beautiful. It's also not, you know, n- don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not uh, 
uniquely sort of like profound. Uh, this is kind of how a lot of Christians, especially Christians who have dealt with suffering. I mean, this is how they talk. Um, and, but we don't often, we sort of like discount sort of the average person out there sort of doing evangelism with similar words in his own neighborhood. But when Stephen Colbert says it, it, it really does, it, it makes me worried because it, it tells me, you know, we haven't really gotten over, despite all of the scandal, we haven't really gotten over, you know, our attraction to celebrity. You know, there, there's something about when a, when, a, when a celebrity, a famous person says something we like, we sort of are like, oh, this is amazing. Instead of being like kind of what you said, just appreciating that, hey, look at what's like sort of trickled up to something as culturally significant as the Stephen Colbert show. Like it, that has to be in the weeds before it gets to there, if that makes sense, right? There's a, a history of evangelism, of gospel preaching, of Christian ethics that underlays uh, to, a, where, to where, uh, where we get to a point where Stephen Colbert is talking about it on his late night show. Um, and so to sort of like, you know, poke fun at that while sort of uplifting the person who, who takes advantage of it seems to me to be a sort of a mistake of categories and and probably not a good um, uh, way to prioritize uh, how we talk about evangelism. So that was another thought I had of when you were talking. Yeah. Um, well, if you haven't seen the video, definitely recommend watching it. Um, it, it. It's a skillful answer, but I mean, that's, that's who he is. He's clearly a, a he's obviously, and he is a well-trained um, thoughtful guy. I also just say that the video totally, aged me because it was one of those moments where I was like, I have no idea who this person is, who he's talking to. Wow. And I was like, I, and I'm not told like, she's like a huge pop star. So I was like, Oh gosh, I'm so, I'm so getting old. Huge pop star, Robert. This is embarrassing. <laughs> We're supposed to talk about faith and culture on this show. I don't know who Dua Lipa, You're here Lipa is. You don't even know who Dua Lipa is. Funny enough. I wasn't even sure if I pronounced her name correctly when I first said it. <laughs> so I think I've listened to like, one of her songs so well it was one of those things like after i said that to somebody they like played a song and i was like oh i've definitely heard that song i just didn't know who it was so and that's only because these younger staffers are like hey have you heard this and so that's the uh, they, they keep me young uh <laughs> but hey thanks so much for being here tuning on tuning in letting us talk about um prayer don't please pray for your uh, local officials um pray for state and national officials um Pray for opportunities to, to proclaim the gospel, to talk about the truth of scripture. And uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, Robert is at Artie Hassler. Uh, you can follow me at Stockdale Will. And we look forward to being back with you guys next week. 